This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He's been obviously having a heck of a year. Like, I mean, what more can you say? Um, he's, I think he's found his way in, in terms of knowing when to shoot and when to pass. And it's, it's scary because it was always there, you know, and I even, as crazy as it sounds, but I even think there's another step <laughs> to him, which is crazy to think. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it's, it's fun watching him getting better. Scary words from Leon Dreisaitl. That's part of the conversation Elliot and I had with Leon uh, in Fort Lauderdale, part of NHL All-Star Weekend. Welcome back to the program. Another gear, another level for Connor McDavid. Here's the, here's the question that I have about Connor at this point. And we'll get Luke's, uh, Luke's thoughts on this one too. Luke Gastic standing by. How close are we to saying that flat out Connor McDavid invented oxygen? Because it feels like we're getting we're getting pretty close. Like, how many different ways can you describe how great he is and all the accolades and things that he's done? How close are we to saying, oh, yeah, and he discovered oxygen and created oxygen? Luke Gazdick from the NHL and Sportsnet in advance of the Oilers and the Red Wings tonight. Luke, how are you? And did Connor McDavid invent oxygen? Because that's the feels like that's the way the conversation is trending right now. I'm good, buddy. Uh, it does seem like he has an endless supply of it. Uh, he just seems to never get tired. He just seems to never get tired. So uh, he's definitely playing at a level like Leon said uh, that we've uh, never seen before. But what a great interview Leon is too, though. Hey, Jeff. He's the best. He, like, he honestly, like flat out. See, here's the thing that I really like about Leon. First of all, he doesn't he doesn't have a lot of time for frivolous questions. But if you actually engage him in a conversation, he'll give you tons of great stuff. Like the the interview I just opened up with, you know, what scares you? And he talked about things that scare him in the ocean and things that scare him in water and what's underneath there and not going snorkeling and not going scuba diving. It's like, who's expecting that coming out of Leon Dreisaitl? Like to me, he might be. He might, like, honestly, Luke, I, I, I honestly think he might be the most interesting guy in the entire NHL. Uh, if I could interview Dreisaitl every single day, I would, uh, I would die a very happy hockey, hockey broadcaster. I know. I would think the Stingrays and stuff would be scared of Leon Dreisaitl, not the other way around. But um, <laughs> it's, it was fun being his teammate um, because those were conversations on the daily, right, uh, when you get him away from the cameras and I'll stuff. Bet. He, he's just a really cool, down-to-earth guy, and uh, you've interviewed, you know, hundreds, thousands of players over the over the years, and me playing with them, I always wondered if it was the language barrier from translations that makes some of the um, some of the players from Europe their interviews are so good uh, they're, they're just very, yeah. you know, non no nonsense, no filter, and I always wondered if that was a translation thing. But Leon is just down to earth, and, and he's a really, really good teammate. You can see why a lot of guys jump on board and on his back on that team. Uh, I, I totally get it. I'm. Uh, we, we've talked plenty about you know Connor the player and Connor the teammate, etc. Let, let's drill on Dreisaitl here a little bit here. Like you share a dressing room with Leon Dreisaitl. We know one part of Leon Dreisaitl's personality, and he's like he's blunt and he likes to laugh and he's a fun guy, an elite elite hockey player etc what was he like as a teammate when you played with him he is extremely extremely competitive uh but he's he's just a big kid do you know what i mean like you can see that smile on his face yeah. uh, when you're interviewing him like he genuinely and thoroughly just loves the game of hockey like he loves coming to the rink yeah. every day um I, he can be grumpy. He's a grumpy old German sometimes, especially if we get on a bit of a losing streak. Um, but it's mainly just because he's upset with the standard that he set not only for himself, but for the team. He play, he expects the team to play at a certain level. And he's not overly vocal, but he is when he needs to be. Uh, but he's just a big kid, man. He just loves to play the game and... Uh, he loved, you, you can see, you, you know, he went for a nice break. He, he, he enjoys his downtime, um, but he, he's, he's all you can ask for and more uh, to have on, on a squad. Okay, th- this, might, this might be an indication of my age, but as I get older, Luke, there's one type of person that I find I appreciate and want to be around more and more, and that is, and you just touched on it a couple of seconds ago, 
And the older I get, the more I want to be around grumpy people because I find them really funny. Like, I'm at a place in my life right now where I want to be around. Like, you know the guy that comes to the rink and complains about the coffee and I don't like this bubble gum on the table and where's the stick tape and where's the clear and blah, 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 blah. Like that, like that guy that wants to get there and complain about all of it. You know, like the Ryan Kesslers and the Chris Prongers. And, you know, I worked with Brian Burke for a lot of years and I've seen a lot of grumpy Berkey. I worked with Doug McLean for a lot of years and saw a lot of grumpy Doug and I just love it. The older that I get, because I, I, I don't know what it is, Luke, but I just find it really funny now at my age. I love grumpy people. Who was the grumpiest hockey player you ever played with? Who was that guy that would complain about everything? Not, maybe it was you, Gazzy. I don't know. But who was the grumpiest guy for you? Um, no question, Boyd Gordon. Um, I'll give really? it to Gordo, but Gordo didn't openly, he didn't openly express his discontent with a lot of things. You just knew he was yeah. upset about it. Uh, but he blocked the most shots I've ever seen. He, he wore, he wore shots on the penalty kill and took every D zone yeah. face off one year. He took one year. He was taken like 80 to 85% of our total draws. Um, and he just played a very tough role and you'd see him after games with ice packs on every part of his body and just kind of like, what am I doing here? Gazzy? What, what is this all for? Um, <laughs> and I can, I, I told him to remember his paychecks that were coming from the, from the Oilers, but it's funny, man. I yeah. see I see those guys now, and when I was young, I didn't understand it, uh, all the old grumpy vets, and now uh, I slowly turned into one of them <laughs> towards the end of my career. <laughs> Gaz, why are you so grumpy all you the did, time? Eh? Uh, yeah, I just remember what, being – we had a really young team in San Diego, and just little things would just yeah. grind my gears that, that new players did. And I'm trying to think of a good example for you right now. Maybe even, you know, optional skates – when guys went out for optional skates, right. I was a big, big proponent of if you're out there, go work hard, like go work your tail off. And if I saw guys taking, you know, two strides and firing a little shot, I, I would stuff like that would upset me. And I was very vocal about it. Me and Rasmus Anderson and Stockton had a lot of battles like that. <laughs> what was it about Ras? I mean, I remember him playing in Barry. Um, you know, it was just like a chubby elite defenseman. What was he like when you played? Uh, when you played with Raz? I think he was more frustrating to me because he was so naturally talented that he only had to work at, at 50% where I was working at 100 to beat him. And uh, I just saw I saw so much more in him. Like, I just saw this defense. I think he should have been in the NHL earlier than he was because he was so good. I believe that. And I, and I just I wanted that. him. I wanted him to just put all the nonsense away for a while and all the swagger and all that and just play hockey. You know, you're so good. Just, he would chirp the other bench all the time and cross-check guys in front of the net and you know who has to deal with that stuff after, right? So I would grab him after yeah. and be like, hey, Raz, do you know you just chirped their enforcer and now I have to, he's going to come after you. Who do you think has to take care of that, you know? So stuff like that, but I, I think I ended up I ended up getting getting through to him a couple of times. But he also knew how to. Ah, we're losing. We're, are you still there, Luke? Yeah, I got you. Luke is still. Sorry, you just we you just cut out on the end of that story about Raz. Oh, I said it. He just knew how to wind me up, and uh, he'd wind me up okay. like a toy at the rink every day. <laughs> I love it. Um, Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, uh, Evander Kane go right down the list. No shortage of uh, firepower and skill on this Oilers lineup. Tonight they'll face off against the Detroit Red Wings. Like everything now that All-Star has done, everything now is pointing to March 3rd. Okay, what's going to happen? What are going to be the moves? What's our GM doing? And I think for, for Edmonton, I think we're looking at this. And just to be blunt, I think we're looking for... You know, when is Ken Holland going to make the move um, to lose uh, uh, to lose Jesse Pugliarvi so he can open up cap space to make some moves here? What do you think of that? Because that's, that's kind of what we're all looking at here. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think the, the dominoes are going to start to fall here. Even a small trade like, like Magna going to Seattle. He was my captain in, in, in San Diego. I think that's a great trade for the Kraken, by the way. He's a... 
he's a heck of a defenseman. But the, the dominoes will start to fall here, and I'm sure Kenny's going to be active. I mean, Oilers fans want it. We want it. If there's any year where you're going to push your chips in the table, I mean, this is it. Um, the Horvat deal's done. I mean, that quiets things down on that side. But I want to see guys. I want to see this thing start to get going here. They need a couple pieces for sure, and and uh, and man, they're fun to watch. I'm hope I'm hoping Kenny can can add to that. Um, definitely something up front. I heard that Bukestad name coming around. Chikrin's obviously getting getting yep. thrown around, and um, both work, both fit. Um, just a little depth up front, and just a little more sandpaper. Uh, I think they need in their in their uh, forward core. All right, so this uh, this just released by the Buffalo Sabres. Dylan Cousins has agreed to terms on a seven-year, $49.7 million extension. That is an AAV of 7.1. So they lock up what they consider and who they consider to be a key piece of this organization for a lot of years here. That is a huge deal for Dylan Cousins, and that is a huge deal. Like, that's... Like that's that's the Tage Thompson contract, like seven point one million. Like they, oh, it's a national they holiday. Dylan it's Cousins, national ho- it's national holiday in the Yukon now, probably. <laughs> Good on Dylan Cousins, man. We'll we'll get into this in in an hour too. So Dylan Cousins gets wrapped up, uh, seven year extension. Buffalo Sabers uh, doing business there. Kevin Adams, the general manager. Um, so so back to Edmondson here. So if you're, like I know you mentioned Jacob Chikrin. I've you know, every time I sort of sniff around it, I always get told, like, yeah, don't expect it to be Edmonton. Don't expect it to be Edmonton. You know, I always wonder about the Los Angeles Kings. We know the Coyotes are driving a, a hard bargain here. I wonder if it's just going to take until the last possible moment. And then they do something with with uh, with Chikrin. Um, we're waiting for a left-shot defenseman to appear with the Oilers. Uh, any other areas of concern if you're Edmonton right now in advance of the playoffs? Or do you just say to yourself, look, man, if they can get a left-shot D, they're, they're good to go? No, I think the only concern that fans would have is, is in net. But, I mean, that's not a concern, I think, really. Skinny, skinny's an all-star. You can see that. Um, Soup hasn't played the most consistent over the year, but I, I don't mind that goaltending tandem in there. I think down the stretch, they're going to lock it down. Um, but yeah, I just saw a stat that Stoff, um, that's Bob Stoffer had tweeted about secondary scoring other than Leon and Connor. I think they're at a plus seven goal differential this year without them on the ice five on five, which is encouraging. But even to add to that forward mm-hmm. core, I just think they could get a little more well-rounded. And you know me, and I think you a little bit too. I, I like a good, tough lineup and someone that can, you know, avoid Gordon. Like, literally, like avoid Gordon. Someone uh, maybe with a little more offense um, could, could really help right. them out in there. A nice kind of veteran presence. Um, so someone's out there, and, and I'm sure Kenny's got his eye on, on a couple. But, yeah, a good veteran sandpaper presence for me would, would uh, a Matt Hendricks, Boyd Gordon would, would look great in that room. So they need more grumpy players is what you're saying. Go find me the biggest grump in the NHL and bring him to Edmonton. Um, Exactly. In the middle of winter. Uh, In the middle of winter. (laughs) (laughs) Just get the the grump factor ratcheted up one more level. Yeah, you know what? I I know you're grouchy now, but... Wait till you find out where you're going here. It ain't warm, I assure you. Um, which makes it more remarkable that Nikita Kucherov is as grumpy as he is. Like, dude, look where you live. Like, look, you walk at your front door. What do you got to be grumpy about? Uh, yeah, let's face off against the Red Wings tonight. What, what do you, uh, what do you, where do you see the Red Wings right now? Like, if they're going to do anything here, like, they need to get on a hot run here to, to start to threaten some of these teams for a, for a wild card spot. Yeah, I just don't think it's their year. I think they've made great strides. Um, Steve Wise is going to take that team to the promised land. I really think so. Um, give them a couple years. They're moving in the right direction. Uh, they got a bunch of good pieces there. And I've always been a closet Red Wings fan. I just growing up in Toronto, so close to the oh, yeah? close to the close to the border, and uh, just I mean those are the teams when I was ten, eleven years old watching watching those you know those old teams play at Joe Lewis. That was certainly one of the coolest moments in my life getting to play uh, the last year at Joe Lewis Arena. Um, they're making the right moves having Fabry back and healthy is awesome, certainly, but it's just not there. I just don't think it's their year, but I, I think Stevie's going to take them, take them in the right direction here in the next couple of years. 
We'll see. Uh, so far, so good. Last summer was a big one for them where they sort of brought in a lot of established players and took that next step. We'll see what the offseason brings for Detroit this year. Uh, we'll be watching tonight, Luke. Thanks, man. Thanks for sharing your intimate knowledge of grumpy hockey players, some of the my favorite people in the world. Thanks, pal. No problem. Thanks for having me. There he is, Luke Gazdick, former NHLer, now from the NHL on Sportsnet. Tonight, it is the Edmonton Oilers facing off against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, watch that one on Sportsnet. All the action gets underway at 7.30 Eastern. If you missed the news, Dylan Cousins, extended by the Buffalo Sabres, seven-year contract AAV of $7.1 million. Big. That's the thing about Buffalo, right? Identify your superstars, your young stars, and lock them up for as long as you can because the price isn't getting any cheaper. Random player of the day, Keith Kachuk still to come as well. We're talking about the avalanche at the bottom two with Peter Baugh. Don't go anywhere. Hour two is coming up. and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Uh, just added, Lance Lasowski is going to stop by from the uh, Buffalo News, covers the Buffalo Sabres, Dylan Cousins, signing the seven-year extension, AAV of $7.1 million. Looking at you, Tage Thompson. I'm getting your dough. Uh, Keith Kachuk coming up here, former NHL forward, and now, as I'm sure he loves to be called, father of Matthew and Brady. Kachuk stars at the uh, uh, All-Star Weekend in Fort Lauderdale bottom of the hour talking about the abs with peter baugh from the athletic meantime random player of the daytime how are you today maddie what do we have i'm very good and we have dave babbage former jet former canuck among other places and this one's submitted yeah. by dusty helgeson Dusty Helgeson. All right, uh, this is a good one. Former second overall draft pick, played his uh, junior with the Portland Winterhawks of the Western Hockey League. That was the year that Doug Wickenheiser went first overall. That would have been 1980. Uh, was, to my knowledge, the only player, I believe, or maybe the first player. Uh, I always come shy of saying first because I'm not 100% sure. But the first one that I can remember ever wearing number 44. All the way through his uh, his entire career, you mentioned the Jets. He did it all the way through to when he played uh, with the Los Angeles Kings and Hartford. You mentioned Vancouver. Throw Philadelphia in there. Um, scored his first goal in his first game against the Washington Capitals. Uh, Mike Palmatier would have been the netminder there. My favorite goaltender when I was a kid. Uh, was with the Vancouver Canucks. He rejuvenated uh, himself in that 1994 Stanley Cup run. Uh, scored the game winner in Game 5, as a matter of fact, on a gorgeous pass by Pavel Bure. Um, I mentioned the Flyers a second ago. He'll forever be married to that team with this story. Um, a misdiagnosed fractured foot uh, was just called a bone bruise by the Flyers' doctor. Um, he sued and was successful, um, was awarded $1.37 million. He played the playoffs in 1998 because they just said it was a bone bruise and he was fine, just getting shots of Novocaine. And he would go out there just foot numb, uh, misdiagnosed, and ended up getting awarded $1.37 million. Um, has a brother, Wayne, as well. More on him in a couple of seconds. Interesting story with Wayne. Um, they both married sisters. So that would have been Dave's first wife. Um, so they both married sisters. So they were both brothers and brother-in-laws at the exact same time. Uh, with Winnipeg, he played with Serge Savard and then later on with Randy Carlisle, former or a future Norris Trophy winner. He was on this really interesting Hartford Whalers squad as well um, that produced a number of coaches and a number of general managers as well. He was on a Hartford Whalers team, Maddie, that produced Ron Francis, GM of Seattle. I'll read, run down the GMs first. Pat Verbeek, now of Anaheim, and Brian Lawton, former of Tampa Bay. But listen to the coaches that this Hartford team produced. Kevin Deneen, Dean Evason, Brad Shaw, Dave Tippett, Randy Cunnyworth, Ulf Samuelson, Randy Latasur, John Anderson, and I will always mention the late, great 
Mark Reeds. And one final note here, and this I find interesting as well. I mentioned his brother Wayne. So Dave Babbage assisted on Dale Howard Chuck's first 100th point in the NHL. His brother Wayne assisted on Mario Lemieux's first 100th point in the NHL. I think neither of them were primary. I think they were both secondary assists. But nonetheless, uh, Dave with the assist on Howard Chuck's 100 and Wayne with the assist on Mario Lemieux's 100. That is me emptying the brain on Dave Babich. It's pretty good. Uh, you can also add on that list, Brian Lawton was on that on a uh, Hartford team that was included. that had a bunch of those guys on it. It was an NHL GM. And Joel yeah, Quenville. Yeah, I mentioned him as a, as, as a GM. I oh, okay. Him. I didn't hear. Imagine and did, did I mention not, Quenville? Did I not mention Quenville? No, I don't I think so. But well, it's a pretty good Quenville. It's a pretty good list. Um, the other thing w- with Dave Babich, I know we're going to get to Keith Kachuk here in a second. Uh, he was actually supposed to be in Ukraine um, when the start of the war happened over there. He was actually supposed to go with his brother mm-hmm. because he's of Ukrainian descent. And they were supposed to run camps yes. for, for kids who didn't have access to coaching. So uh, off the ice uh, doing his work as well. Uh, always love talking about the Babbages, uh, Dave and Wayne. And thank you to Dusty Helgeson uh, for submitting that one. The random, random player of the day goes daily here at this time here on the program. Uh, nominate your random player of the day, jmshow at sportsnet.ca. Uh, coming up, Lance Sosowski talks about the Dylan Cousins extension. Uh, Peter Ball will talk about the Colorado Avalanche getting reinforcements. Valeria Nachushkin, Bo Byram back tonight as the Avs face off against Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins. In the meantime, always a delight and pleasure to welcome someone who is always the center of attention no matter where he goes on or off the ice and this weekend in sunrise as well uh, for the all-star weekend was keith kachuk smiling and why not because his kids were outstanding uh keith kachuk joining me on the uh, the jeff merrick show keith how are you today thanks so much for doing this i'm doing great thanks for having me jeff yeah it was a heck of a weekend so the kachuk family had a good time again I'll tell you, you I I mentioned this, Keith, off the top of the show. One of the things that I just loved were the pictures of your boys coming out and, like, there's, you know, there. this is, listen, when you're a second-generation player, there's some perks that come along with it. You know, there's your boy standing with Sidney Crosby. There's your boy standing with Alex Ovechkin. I don't know how old the kids were at that point, but I just love pictures like that, the then and now. Like, when you see your kids now, like, rubbing, like, this isn't new, no novelty, but even when you see them, like, in an, in an all-star setting, and you know that... You know, Crosby's on, you know, he's on the back nine. Novechkin's on the back nine. They're on the shady side of the mountain. Your kids are still on the sunny side of the mountain. What goes through your mind as a hockey dad? Well, don't tell Crosby and Ovi they're on the back nine because they look pretty good for guys that are on the back nine. So, uh, <laughs> you know, but it was great. Well, you know, it was uh, being able to do an all-star game and the kids are old enough to realize. And, and, you know, my wife and cars make sure they get pictures with, Everybody in the locker room, both the you know Eastern Conference and the Western Conference back then, so we didn't know it was going to turn out the way it did. So they were just kids who grew up loving these players, and that's what it's all about. And you now to turn the clock forward and being able to do that, you know, reincarnation again was awesome to them. Yeah, were there um were were there ever moments for your kids where like because of your place in the game, you know they got to either share a sheet of ice or meet someone that was really profound for them? Like did Matthew ever say like, "Holy geez, Dad, I can't believe that I just met so and so," or did Brady say like, "I can't believe you let me on the ice with this NHL guy"? Were there a couple of guys like that in Matthew and Brady's past that you know really had a profound effect on them by just being around them? Well, just in St. Louis itself, when they're old enough to realize guys like Barry Jack and Paul Gurria, you know, you know, they're old yeah. enough to see on a daily basis. And they weren't always there, but whenever I could bring them to the rank, you know, you take advantage of that. I mean, there's not a lot of time we can actually spend with our kids and we travel so much. So, you know, whenever he did it, the kids enjoyed themselves. They felt right at home. And I think that helped out, you know, moving forward, being NHL players where they're not starstruck when you walk in the rank and respectful how they handle themselves, and I think it's great. You know, I've always maintained that the uh, it's the second-generation players that have the advantage over other kids joining NHL teams because, to your point, they've grown up around it. So they know all the protocols. Like, 
you know, who checks into the hotel first, who gets off the bus first, like all the, you know, all the, the hierarchies that exist at the NHL level, like they've seen it all with dad and dad has told them all about it. Here's how you behave here. Here's what you do there. Like that must be an, an enormous, it seems like something small, maybe to someone like me, but in the NHL, like how much of an advantage you think you gave your kids as they entered the National Hockey League, just because, listen, dad played and so we know what all the rules are. Well, you know, you hope when you give them advice on, on anything in life, when they're going off to whether it's junior hockey or college or the NHL, you, you hope they actually listen to you, you know? So, uh, you know, yeah. some of the little things you, I wanted to make sure I help them with. And I think they've done a great job. The most important thing is how you treat the trainers. I mean, that's, uh, you know, these are the guys that, uh, you know, really get overlooked at times. I think they've done a really good job of that. And, you know, like when a veteran guy gets up to go and does this, you know, you wait for your turn. I think that's the way it should be. And, you know, I think they're very respectful mm-hmm. like that. And I think it's helped out, you know, adapting with some of these veteran guys. Because you have some guys that are 36, 37 years old are playing with the 18, 19, 20-year-olds. So times have changed. Yeah. I get it. But some things don't change. And that's the way it should be. When you um when you first started, Keith, who are some of those older guys that you look at now and you say, and like you've passed this on to your kids, who are some of the guys you say, you know what, this guy taught me how to be a pro. This guy taught me all the, the protocols. This guy taught me all the things to do that I've in turn passed along to my kids. Who are some of those guys for you? Well, I was lucky enough to play in Winnipeg where we had some veteran guys, you know, Eddie Olchuk, Randy Carlisle, Troy Martin was the captain. You know, Phil Housley. Yep. So I played with some older players, older players that have, you know, won Norris trophies and, you know, a great captain like Troy Murray. I mean, just Eddie Olchek was instrumental and it really helped out. You need to, I didn't know what was going on. You know, you fly one day to meet the team and, you know, it's a whole, you know, I think barely had any money on me that I had to borrow from my parents, you know. So, you know, yeah. it's a lot. You know, the guys know what to do. They take care of you. If you need something done at your, you know, whether you live in a condo, if you're at a hotel, guys are very generous in bringing you over and having dinner with their family. And, you know, that's something we kind of brought as, you know, I think that's also helped out with Matthew and Brady is having guys live at our house. I think it's been a huge impact on them. So I think that's, you know, little things like that go a long way. And, you know, it's, it's, it's funny how fast it's gone by already. I, I was going to say, like, it seems like like I was – I remember hanging out with, with you in, in Red Deer uh, when the London Knights were winning the Memorial Cup and yep. watching Brady getting getting drafted in Dallas and talking to you in the lobby before uh, before the first round. And here we are, they're established superstars with, with big contracts and are, you know, producing. I mean, Matthew's on a different planet right now. Everyone that thought that, okay, that's the, that's the best he's going to be last year in Calgary. He's better than that already in his first year in Florida – Brady Kachuk's the captain of the Ottawa Senators. Like when you, when you like, how often do you get a chance to like just sit down, sort of decompress and and take it all in? I know it feels like it's gone by in about five minutes, but how often do you allow yourself just to sort of you know reflect and and enjoy the moment that your two boys are in right now? Well, it's just it's like tonight's a disappointing night. None of them are playing, so we gotta, you know, that's our lives right now. You know, is is watching our kids and. You know, my daughter's off season is, is going on right now, so there's not a lot for us to do. And so, I mean, we're, we're just pumped. We're thrilled. Um, they still got a lot of work to do. I mean, Matthew wanted to come here and make an impact, and you know, they're still on the outside looking in, and he wants to make the playoffs. And Brady, you know, is a young captain, uh, you know, of a, in a Canadian big market. So, like, it, it's it's difficult. They still got a lot of work to do in their game, both you know, on the ice and off the ice. And I've been so far so good, but, you know, they, they still think they can get a lot better in a lot of areas. What were your main takeaways from the weekend? What did you, uh, what did you enjoy? What did you think of All-Star Weekend? Well, the elbow room was awesome. <laughs> I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that that is that is the 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 one the the one thing about the area that is still undefeated is the elbow room, Keith. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's it's funny how NHL players and people, I should say, all made their way there. But no, it was great. It was just you know the ability to. Um, yep. Both boys play together was, was something like even my parents were just, you know, my mom gets emotional. My mom, Brady gave my mom, the his grandmother, the car. 
that he won. So it was just a great, oh, nice. great thing for our family. So we were really, really thrilled. Um, that, that that's outstanding. So uh, last one for you. I, I listen. I know you're always busy. Um, so what is, if at all, what is a normal day like for for you and and your family? Not for Brady, not for Matthew, but like at home. Is it? We have this idea that you know. You know the Kachucks are the twenty four seven, three sixty five hockey family. It's it's nonstop. It's it's go go go. What's an average day like for you, Keith? Well, we're all spread out right now. I'm trying to figure it out. Like it's, uh, you know, I, I I mean, we had the All Star game. Sunday was a recovery day, and I flew to Boston to go watch the Beanpot last night. So now I'm back, mm-hmm. and I don't think my wife or Matthew's girlfriend want to be back since she had. A decent night last night, so but I don't want to ruin it. But no, I mean, we're, we're always talking. I talk to my boys every day, and it's funny. Matthew wants to talk in game day, Brady doesn't like to talk, but we try to talk every day. You know, we're always on a group chat. We even got Robert Thomas on our family yeah. chat, so we get a bunch of different threads and you know, giving each other some grief once in a while. But it's a lot of fun. We're enjoying this right now, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. You know, I'm glad you. I'll, I'll end on this. One. I'm glad you mentioned Robert Thomas because you know I'm I live up in his his neck of the woods, and I I know the family, and I know the association between Robert and um and uh, and and your family. Do you have a couple of words on Robert Thomas? Even listen, he's one of my favorite players. I think he's one of the best playmakers in the NHL. Um, he's a star, poised to be a superstar. Do you have a, a thought or two here on on uh, Robert Thomas? Well, we're we're lucky to have him. He's an incredible player. He is so amazing. He has so many things going on in his game. Like he is so much fun to watch. I almost get mad at him because he passes too much, and you know he has the ability <laughs> to see anything at any time. He's a great skater. He's yeah. strong on the puck, and you know he's a he's a fun player to watch. I mean, he's a he's a true number one center who's going to continue to get better and be a big part of our team in St. Louis. You sure will. Uh, listen, on that, I'll let you go. Keith, thanks, as always, for stopping by. Uh, always appreciate the time. Congratulations on uh, the success of, of, of both your boys at the NHL level. And, like, flat out, like, that was one of the highlights of the weekend, watching, you know, your family in the stands, the boys on the ice, outstanding, all of it. Thanks, as always, for popping on here, Keith. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. There he is, Keith Kachuk, uh, former NHL forward, and by the way, like one of the best power forwards the game has ever seen. Um, and now he's hockey dad, man, and scout um, as well. So he's still very much around it. Um, the Kachuks continue to be the 24-7 hockey family. Uh, news of the day uh, involves the Buffalo Sabres and Dylan Cousins signing uh, the seven-year contract extension. 7.1 is the AAV. And for comments on this and everything Sabre, Lance Lasowski joins me now from the Buffalo News. Lance, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. Doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. The pleasure is all mine. So um, I don't think it's like this is consistent with what and and how Kevin Adams behaves with the Buffalo Sabres. Like they identify the key players and, you know, they're they're They identify the core and then lock them up long term as long as they can. You know, being of the belief that once you've identified a core player, it only gets more expensive. And so you want to do it as soon as possible. And safe to say now, Dylan Cousins joins the, you know, the ranks of uh, Tage Thompson, certainly um, joins the ranks of uh, Matias Samuelson as well. And soon to be Rasmus Dahlin again, he's going to get another whopper of a contract here. Like this is very much in keeping with how Buffalo and Kevin Adams want to do business. Absolutely. When this whole, really, when this whole process started in March 2021, when they changed coaches, they traded Taylor Hall, and they clearly moved toward the this version of the rebuild. They wanted to to play all these young guys with Don Granado as coach, see them develop, and then, like you said, pinpoint who wants to be here. And Dylan Cousins, his development has just continued on it an incline really establishing himself as a number two center. He leads them in shorthanded ice time and to get him under contract. Now, of course you look at, you know, above $7 million. It's sort of similar to the the Nico. He contract a few years back where um, now you have your two number ones, your top two centers under contract and you got a better idea of what your cap picture looks like in the coming seasons. Um, yeah, you, you, you sure do. And, you know, one of the, uh, one of the questions that we all have, and first of all, like Buffalo Sabres have become just flat out one of the most fun teams to watch. Like I know Tage Thompson, you know, uh, 
uh, absorbs a lot of the oxygen in the room, and rightfully so. He's been you know one of the most creative and dynamic players we've seen all season long. Uh, we all love watching him. I love watching Rasmus Stalin. Like there's a lot of Jeff Skinner's resurgence has been something to behold. But I, I kind of have the feeling that the entire operation revolves. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but it's kind of how I feel. It revolves around one guy, and that's Alex Tuck. That Thompson does his thing, cool. Dalene does his thing, cool. Lukanen gets called up, he does his thing, cool. To me, the whole thing kind of hinges on Alex Tuck. That's how it feels to me. Does it feel that way to you as well? It does. When you look from a leadership standpoint and all the changes that were made behind the scenes to create the, you know, for lack of a better word, culture that is helped ignite this change. Kyle Poso is the forefront of that. But when it comes to really the way that the lineup has been clicking this year, how they've allowed, well, really helped Tage Thompson elevate his game again, it's, it's Alex Tuck, the way that he has come in. And, you know, last year he stepped into that prominent role, which he didn't have in Vegas. And, you know, he's, he talked about consistency. Um, he was coming back from the shoulder injury. He had it some nights. He wanted to have it more, and he's done that this year. He's already set career highs and in goals and points, averaging 19 minutes a game. He is just a force with what he brings on the four check. Um, there's just there's just certain guys around the league, Jeff, with skill sets. That it's really tough to find them. And a guy with that, you know, yeah. that power forward build with that speed and that playmaking ability, I think that, you know, I'm glad you mentioned it because he's a guy that I don't think is getting spoken about enough just because, of course, you know, Tage Thompson's getting all the headlines. But I think Alex Tuck is yeah. the key to not only what Tage Thompson is doing, but also Jeff Skinner as well. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get to Skinner here in a second, but uh, one final thought here on um, uh, on Alex Tuck. You know, Tuck comes in on the Jack Eichel deal, and that was very much Eichel wanting out. And we went through, you know, everything um, with the artificial disc replacement and the drama around it. And, you know, it's not going to happen with Buffalo. Vegas was cool with it, the trade, all of it. I think it was a real shot in the arm that, you know, Alex Tuck is, it's not always true that, you know, the local boy goes home story works. You know, the NHL is littered with the local boy goes home story and it's an absolute disaster. Um, But this one's really worked out. And I think, I think the Buffalo Sabres needed, you know, that one elite level player to say, you know, not only am I going here, but I'm happy to go here and I want to stay here. And this is my home. And he was under contract for a few more years. So everybody in, the, in that room knew this This wasn't a rental. This guy was in long-term, said all the right things. His personality is just a perfect fit. Um, but, you know, the kind of guy who can make a comment to just loosen up the entire room, played in big games before and very recently. And, yeah, I think with all the noise around the Eichel situation and months leading up to that deal, I can't imagine how tired the those guys were of just hearing about it. So when, when talk gets in the room, it, yeah. it feels like they could finally turn the page and a, a big weight was lifted off of everybody's shoulders. And then they could just kind of focus on actually building this thing and creating chemistry among each other. All right. The elephant in the room for the Buffalo Sabres, the goalies. So everybody always says the right thing when the three headed monster appears, we can work with this, we can do this. And then inevitably, you know, after a while, when you get back down to the two goaltender system, you know, people tend to say, well, you know, we, we thought it might work, but it's a situation that nobody really wants. And it's never been successful and probably never will be successful. You know, normally you would think, okay, path of least resistance here. Lukanen goes down to Rochester. He stays there. It's Comrie. It's Anderson. We all know that Anderson's schedule needs to be managed. The problem is, how do you send Lukanen down? Like, you can't at at this point. So the three-headed monster, it is. And I think I, I don't think it was lost on a lot of people that when Comrie was injured and the battery was Lukanen and Anderson, Lukanen got the tougher matchups. Like Lukanen got like the 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 bigger name teams here, the quote unquote tougher teams. That was Lukanen's assignment. And although early it might not have been pretty, you know, by the end before Comrie came back, Lukanen really hit a stride and became almost impossible to send down. How is this thing going to play itself out, Lance? It's going to be a day-to-day situation. Right now, they're going to continue to carry three, but you might, like as the season goes along, guys are playing through injuries. You're going to have to sit people without putting them on injured reserve. Eventually, you're going to need that roster spot. Yeah. 
They're, and right now, as they, you know, going back to last summer, their plan was Eric Comrie and Uko Pekalukkanen as their tandem going to 2023 and 24. They really like Eric Comrie. He's been a perfect fit in terms of just what he does between games. You know, a perfect guy to set the example for, for Lukanen. And he's played well when he's had a healthy team in front of him. It's just that for a while there, they were down three out of their top six defensemen. And this team's not built, you know, I don't know if many teams that can really sustain that. So I think Comrie's, yeah. you know, underlying numbers kind of took a ding there. Um, Lukanen has proven, I think, that guys have seen it in that dressing room, that he has earned the starting job. And he, is, he has earned the faith of the coaching staff. So they're going to continue to use him as the 1A. The question is how long can they go, they go with the three and Craig Anderson that's the key I know that a lot of people from the outside see the contract he's 41 years old everybody said you know what maybe they should just deal him now but this guy is like another coach on this team not only for what he does to the goaltenders but it's amazing to watch him even when he's starting skating over the bench between TV timeouts and talking to all the guys on the bench giving them you know what they mm-hmm. see you know I talked to the defensemen on the Sabres and they just emphasize how important it is for just the communication that Craig Anderson can bring. He knows systems. He knows different forechecks. He, he knows exactly what defensemen need to make them more comfortable in their jobs. And that's why they don't want to part with him either. He is just so important to what goes on behind the scenes there. And he's played well. He's played well. So, you know, if it gets close to the deadline and need that roster spot, do they work with Craig Anderson and say, listen, you know, Craig, we're going to try to find you a different team and we can work out something. I know that Kevin Adams made some calls at the deadline last year to see if the right fit came, came up about for Craig Anderson and it didn't. So it's a standby, but Hey, it's a good problem to have because for, throughout Don Granado's tenure, he was on, you know, number four, number five goalies most of the time. So now they have three that they trust. It's a pretty yeah. good situation. And Devin Levi on the horizon. I want to ask you about one other other goaltender here, and it's someone that's you know not going to be playing for the Buffalo Sabers, Eric Portillo, uh, who plays at at Michigan. Now you know I've reported on Hockey Night that you know this guy is you know uh, most likely headed to uh, to free agency at the off season. I don't expect him to sign. I don't think any of us do. Uh, with the Buffalo Sabers last year at the draft in Montreal, there were all kinds of rumors that. You know, Buffalo was going to move him. You know, the, the one rumor that was going around uh, the draft floor on the first day uh, involved the Seattle Kraken. Obviously, that didn't go anywhere. Um, but safe to say that if they can, the Buffalo Sabres will, you know, move Eric Portillo um, by deadline or else they'll just lose him to, to free agency at the end of the year. Absolutely. What's going to be interesting here, Jeff, is what's the what's the ask going to be? Um, I know Jack McBain. It was a second no round idea. pick, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yep. and when it comes to a goalie, though, is the ask? It's a goalie who's much closer in his development timeline to reaching the NHL. You look at a team like Seattle who does it, who has a gap in their goalie development pipeline. Where you insert Eric Portillo there, that's a nice guy to have in Coachella Valley. You know, it's they bundle him. You know, I know that we're all talking about, you know, with the Sabres having the cap space that they have, the draft capital, the prospects. They are a very intriguing team of what are they going to do leading up to the deadline. Honestly, I think Kevin Adams' preference is to use a wild card like Portillo, and he has three second-round picks. Those are That's really the ammunition I think he's going to be focusing on so he doesn't have to get rid of somebody they don't like Matt Savoy. Isak Rose and Yuri Kulik, they want to really keep that prospect pipeline intact if they can. And Portillo, with where he's at in his development, it's going to be very fascinating. So I think there's going to be a lot of calls coming up as we get close to the deadline for sure. Yeah, do you have, do you have a sense of – listen, I've I've wondered, I think we all have, I think we've wondered a lot about a veteran defenseman like Jacob Chikrin. Like teams, you know, uh, teams as recent as a couple of weeks ago, you know, saying to me that, listen, the Buffalo Sabres ride a lot of really young defensemen hard. Like Deline, Samuelson, Owen Power, like these are young guys, and they ride these guys hot, 26 minutes, 23 minutes, uh, 22 minutes. Like this is a lot for an entire – season for three young defensemen. I think a lot of people are wondering if they bring in um, a veteran guy or a more veteran guy to ease some of the load. I think we've all wondered about Jacob Chikrin specifically at various times. Any idea whether you know that's on the mind of Kevin Adams right now? I know they went out. I know he went out and you know brought in Ilya Labushkin uh, in the off season last year. But any idea about bringing in some some reinforcements for the blue line? 
Absolutely. I know that Kevin Adams reached out to the Coyotes, um, I think, believe it was November, December, to really touch base, see what the, the ask was on Chikorin, of course. It was still very high at that point. I think if it's the right the right acquisition yeah. cost, it's absolutely something he wants to do. Um, Chikorin's skill set fits perfectly with the way Don Granato wants to play. The big question is, how is Chikorin going to feel coming into a situation like Buffalo where he's not getting power play time? Um, the ice time not, might not be as high as it was in Arizona just because of the way that their blue line is structured. They like the defense pairs that they have. There's just a lot of factors that go into it. The, the contract, the age, the type of player he is, is absolutely perfect for the way that, you know, they're going young. They're, this guy fits in with, you know, kind of the Alex Tuck type of contract um, with just a little bit less term. So that's that's the type of move I see them making. They're not, he's not going to get rid of key assets to get a rental, but somebody like Chikrin who's got some, got a few years left, who's young, who could really possibly earn his, his spot in becoming, you know, one of these long-term pieces on this roster, they're absolutely going to consider it. And, of course, I think they're always going to be on the, the prowl for some help offensively. Um, going to be interesting. I mean, Victor, Victor Olsen's on a 37, 38 goal pace, but he's got only one year left yeah. on his deal. Is is that somebody with that contract that, you know, if you find the right, the right spot, I know that Olsen's having a great year, but you know, you're also thinking beyond next season as well. So, and there's always the argument, do you want to mess with a good thing right now with what they built behind the scenes? I think that Kevin Adams throughout his, his experiences, particularly, particularly in Carolina with what they had in that room, has really molded the way that he's building a team. Um, so the mid-season trades, it's it's going to be fascinating because I know that the defense is the one area they're they're certainly going to keep an eye on. Uh, final question for you. We'll let you get on with your afternoon. Does Don Granado get enough credit for all of this? He doesn't, and I I, I think that. And maybe that's because of just um, you look at some of the older school coaches around the league, for lack of a better you know term, and you know development's not always at the forefront. I know how frustrating that could be for some ba- fan bases. You look over at the Rangers, um, you know, and everybody's focusing on and on what Tage Thompson is doing, what Rasmus Dahlin is doing. But it was Don Granado's call to move Tage Thompson to center. Rasmus Dahlin's confidence was completely yeah. gone when Granado took over, and he immediately reinstated reinstated that confidence, gave him the green light again, and look what look what they have here. And it's not only those top guys that capture all the headlines. I mean, Peyton Krebs has completely – it's really impressive what he's done to his game, even in a month, skating next to Zemgis Gergensen and Kyle Ocposo on their fourth line. He's getting the most out of every player on this roster. Casey Middlestad's a guy who – High draft pick, high expectations. His development's been sidetracked by a variety of reasons, and it's on a fifty-point pace. You know, third-line minutes. It's they're getting the most out of what they have. They're playing a system that is allowing them to score at a five-on-five pace. That's at the top, you know, top five in the league. Um, and with steady goaltending, you would have mm-hmm. to think this team, you know, without injuries as well, they would be in a playoff spot right now. I don't think that's a stretch. I think we're cheering for him. Like, really, like, everyone wants that one team that emerges that, you know, knocks the, uh, knocks the billiard balls around and, uh, and, and gets their way into the playoffs, you know, scraps down the stretch. Maybe they do something at deadline. I think this year's addition of the Buffalo Sabres could be that squad. Speaking of scrapping, who, who did I see Peyton Krebs fighting the other week? I was like, whoa, hang on a second. Peyton Krebs, he had just scored a goal. I can't remember what game it was, but I was like, when you got someone like Peyton Krebs fighting and the bench just going crazy, you say to yourself, "All right, you know this isn't just a collection of players. Like this is this is a real team here." That was a a pretty cool moment. Anyhow, uh, Lance, yeah. thanks as always for stopping by. Um, really appreciate it. Uh, listen, keep up the great work covering the Buffalo Sabres, one of the most fascinating teams in the NHL. Uh, just got more intriguing today with uh, the re-signing of Dylan Cousins and the seven-year extension. Thanks for sharing your expertise today. Much appreciated. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Lance Lasowski from Buffalo News um, commenting on uh, the Dylan Cousins contract extension. And, folks, this one is a whopper. It's a seven-year deal, uh, $49.7 million. 7.1 is the AAV. And don't have any news about bonuses for this one. A lot of t- a lot of players right now, we're curious to see how the contract breakdown works here. Because a lot of players are trying to front load as much as they can their contracts because the escrow is capped. Was it six percent? So we saw this with you know the Dylan Strom deal last week. Um, specifically, players trying to get as much in the uh, first couple of years 
uh, of the contract with the escrow being capped as a way to protect themselves. Uh, We'll hit a break. We'll come back and talk about the defending Stanley Cup champions who are about to get better with returning players, including Valeri Nachushkin, who you could have made the case for for the uh, Conn Spythe Trophy last year, and Bo Byram, who is the, uh, speaking of big contracts, he's going to be due one sooner than later as well. Uh, He will return to the lineup tonight. It is the Colorado Avalanche facing off against Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins. wonder if Josh Manson is close. Um, We'll ask Peter Baugh from The Athletic all of these questions and get on the Avs page when the program returns across the Sportsnet Radio Network, also Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Colorado Avalanche getting some reinforcements uh, before they face off against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, most notably, someone who could have won the Conn Smythe Trophy, Valeria Nachushkin, also Bo Byram on the back end. Here for comments on this and what it might take to get Jonathan Taves to the Avalanche is Peter Baugh, who covers the team for The Athletic. Peter, how are you, pal? Hey, I'm well, Jeff. How are you? Uh, I'm good. So reinforcements are back. I want to get on a, on a Landeskog thing here in a couple of moments, but uh, to the immediate reinforcements, uh, Dechushkin, Byram uh, are the two that are coming back. Uh, how is the team, I mean, you're there for all of it, how has the team compensated for their losses? What have they done? Yeah, well, it has not been a, a particularly smooth road. Obviously, they had, coming out of the uh, holiday break, they I think lost six of seven, like they, they looked really lost for a yeah. little bit there. But when they kind of got back to playing their game, they, they won, were kind of playing a little more simple, getting back to the basics, like all the hockey cliches, you know, you hear coaches talk about yeah, like yeah, simple yeah. finding games and all that. But I think there's they're cliche because there's some truth to them too. And I also think some of the luck balanced out to an extent, like during the losing stretch, they their shooting percentage was, was really low. Um, and uh, that's kind of bounced back to normal. And they still had good players in the lineup, so that was kind of a big thing there. And I think Nachushkin came back for parts of that stretch. They they started getting some of these reinforcements in that stretch, even if they weren't playing consistent. Like Nachushkin came back for a bit and then had an upper body injury and was yeah. out. But he's so even when he was in the lineup, that was kind of coincided with them kind of getting back on track and now they're they're in a pretty good spot i think they're in a playoff position at least by point percentage they might not be by points anymore because calgary got a point last night but um they're they're still fine there and now they're kind of starting to get healthy and potentially could go on a little run here i think we kind of all expect that like we've been waiting now for a while for well certainly for the, the team to get healthy and then for the colorado run to begin I mean, this is, listen, this was a team that was, I mean, spectacular to watch last season. Like, what they were able to do, you know, getting to the Stanley Cup final and, you know, slaying the dragon that are the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like, that's a tough out, man. Like, I don't need to tell you this. Like, Tampa is a really, really tough out. Yeah. Teams have had them against the ropes. Teams have had them on the mat, and they get up. I mean, it's like Undertaker style sometimes with Tampa. Like, <laughs> you, just, you just can't. Um, like it, it was impressive, and I know there's always going to be a sort of you know natural sort of letdown the next season, certainly to start. But then a team as elite as Colorado usually roars back at some point and like rips off like you know they'll win like eleven of their next thirteen or something like that in a spectacular fashion. Um, is it feeling like Colorado is getting close to being that team again? Yeah, I mean, I think they did a really good job before the All Star break of of kind of riding the ship. They won, I think it was seven of eight. It might've been six of seven. I think it was seven of eight though. And they looked, but they still weren't looking quite like the juggernaut that they did at points last year. But I think the fact that they were still finding ways to win is a really good sign for them. And then maybe now they'll kind of be ready to take off. And and they have a lot of games left. I think they've got games in hand. Um, They're going to have a busy few months, a lot of, a few back-to-backs here and there. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like they're getting closer to kind of, like you said, having, having that stretch where they win a lot of games, especially if the guys who are in the lineup stay healthy. 
Um, and if they get mm-hmm. your favorite Gabriel Landis guy back in the in the near future, and Josh Manson, of course, <laughs> that's coming. Don't worry, the Gabriel and the Scott question's coming. Hold on, man. Because in the meantime, so for, 48 games in, all right, Peter? So 48 games in, if uh, if there was a vote who the MVP of the Avalanche was 48 games in, would the answer be Miko Rantanen? That would be the answer for me. I think he's been unbelievable this year, especially in December. The team was really banged up, and he kind of – it felt like willed them to stay afloat. He was so yep. good during during that whole month, and his counting stats are unbelievable. I think some of his uh, his underlying numbers maybe are down a little bit from past years, but I, I think that's also just because he's he's not he hasn't consistently been playing with Landeskog and McKinnon, and that can sometimes impact the underlying numbers. Um, but he's he's been unbelievable. I think he's been so important for the team, and he's also just been one of the guys this team. It's weird to say with the Colorado Avalanche, but it's struggled at points putting the puck in the net. And he is the one guy on the team who has consistently been able to score. I think he's at, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I think he's at like 34 goals. And the next closest guy on the Mm -hmm. team is Archery Lackanen at 15. Um, So he has been so important for just getting points on the board. Like it's, it's, he's been vital. Um, And so, yeah, he would be, if the Avalanche had a team-specific heart trophy, he would be mine, and I'd, I'd definitely think long and hard about putting him on my top five for the league-wide ballot. You know, one of the things that we all marveled at is after the Avalanche won, we all came to realize that Nathan McKinnon actually has upper teeth because we've never seen them <laughs> before uh, until he finally finally won something. Um, how Because I listen, we discussed about Ranton, and he's been great. Um, how have you seen Nathan McKinnon now in the pursuit to repeat as a Stanley Cup champion? Yeah, honestly, I, it doesn't feel like a whole lot has changed. Like, he's still very intense and a fierce competitor. And I, I think anyone who knows him would, would say that just because he won once, that wasn't going to, I guess, take the – he got to this point because he's so determined and and wants to be as good as he can possibly be and maximize his talent. And just winning one Stanley Cup yeah. isn't, wasn't going to satisfy that. So he's – He's been, um, I think, certainly, I think he appreciate. obviously is very happy that they won, but he, uh, there was a certain point in training camp or early in the season, I forget which, where I think he said at one point, he was like, it's like I'm kind of tired of talking about the, the cop. Like he was ready to flip the page, but he's been <laughs> excellent. He's been excellent when he's been in the lineup. He, he missed some time uh, with an injury, I think, in that December stretch where Rantanen really stepped up. Um, his assist rate is unbelievable this year he hasn't uh he he hasn't been burying quite as many goals as i know he would like um i think even on like the all-star game telecast like he was getting interviewed at one point and he was like they said like it must have felt good to score or something he's like i haven't done that that much this year so he made some like kind of witty remark about it and he's but his assist rate has been has been really good and he he still makes one or two plays a game where you're like oh wow how did he get that pass to that person yeah, I I just think he's just such a he's a rhinoceros stepping over the blue line. Yeah. Like, I love watching him enter the zone just because he's just so big and strong. And it's like, no, I'm getting this blue line. Like, good luck trying to defend me. Um, okay, yeah. the Gabriel Andescog question: When do I get to see my favorite hockey player again in Colorado? Well, he is uh, according to Jared Bednar this morning on the he spoke on the Altitude Radio. He has a weekly appearance. Um, he should Gabe. Yeah. Landeskog should resume skating middle of this month. So it, it we'll see how long it'll take. Obviously he's been out for a while. I don't, I think they'll have to see how he feels as he's rehabbing it. But I know the hope mm-hmm. was I think sometime in March and, and it looks like if he's going to resume skating, that'll potentially be the case. And, and yeah, this team could really use him and they're expecting him to be back in the regular season and he'll be a boost, especially if he's a hundred percent heading into the playoffs. Cause even at, whatever percent he was last playoffs when he was still dealing with his, his knee, he was unbelievable for that. Yeah, he, he really was. Um, so tonight is Colorado and Pittsburgh. Uh, before we get to your Jonathan Taves piece, uh, I am curious, backing up to McKinnon here for a second. Um, he's always spoken glowingly about Sidney Crosby. McKinnon has, I can recall yeah. at the players media tour a couple of years ago, 
as you know, Elliot and I tried to read out McKinnon's accolades, he shut us down right away and started talking about Sidney Crosby and what he's done and what he's achieved and what his team has done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How much in McKinnon's mind is a game like this about him versus Sid as opposed to Colorado versus Pittsburgh? Yeah, I mean, I think he certainly knows that he's playing against Sidney Crosby and, and obviously is friends with Crosby and, and idolizes Crosby to an extent. I think maybe not as much as he did when he was a kid, but even after they won, he referred to Crosby as his idol and all that stuff. Um, I yeah. think that it's it's interesting. I, I, I haven't talked specifically, Tim, about it. I'm sure he knows that they're playing, but I, I also think you you heard – when you talk to him, like the amount of respect that he has for Crosby, like, I don't think he's, yeah. I, I mean, he's trying to be better than Crosby and that he's trying to be the best player that he can be. But I think he knows that Crosby is a level of like, he, he knows that that's almost an unattainable level, like that. He's not going to be Sidney Crosby. Um, but I, so I think these games matter to him. I think he probably enjoys playing against his friends, but I don't think it's like a, I have to like make a statement that I'm beating Sidney Crosby because I think he knows kind of where he stands and he's uh, okay with it. Although he's he's going to do everything he can to keep getting better. All right, I want to get to this because this is a, a really nice piece at the Athletic. I mean, you do such tremendous work around the squad. This one was interesting. The Jonathan Taves question with the Avalanche. Like we wonder. I know the romantic story is. Jonathan Taves joins the Winnipeg Jets, you know, a Manitoba kid, yeah. joins the Winnipeg Jets uh, for the Stanley Cup run. They've had a remarkable season, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, for a while, even going back to last season, we've wondered about Jonathan Taves with the Colorado Avalanche. Can this marriage work? Can this be a fit? Jonathan Taves and the Colorado Avalanche, and if so, how? Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, the, the biggest thing is – what Jonathan Taves wants and he hasn't made what he wants public. He might not even know. Um, but I don't think it, from what Mark Lazarus has written, who does a great job, him and Scott Powers covering the, the Blackhawks, yep. the athletic, like he still might change his mind. He might not know what he wants. Like it, it, this is, it's not a guarantee that he's going to want to leave Chicago. Um, I think Colorado's path to getting Jonathan Taves, it would certainly be a lot smoother if Taves wants to be in Colorado and if he kind of picks that out as his preferred destination, which who only he can decide what he wants. But we saw with Claude Giroux last year at the deadline that the Panthers kind of were, they, they, they knew they had the upper hand because Giroux wanted to be there. So the Flyers weren't going to get quite as much from them because yep. there wasn't competition in the market. So I, I think that if Taves wants to be in Colorado, then maybe you're starting to look at like a package that could happen. But it's it's all going to come down to what he wants. The Abs have a pretty weak prospect pool at this point, and I don't know if mm-hmm. how willing they're going to be to give up one of their like bigger prospects. Although if it's for a player like Taves, they might make an exception. Um, and they don't have that much draft equity. They have their first round pick this year, but I don't think they're going to want to trade that for Jonathan Taves at this stage in his career. I don't think it'll take that. Yeah, I, I don't either. I, I, I don't, know, honestly, I, don't. I, 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 think it, I think it might just take a third-round pick. That seems to be what the market is. I don't think they you need to give up prospects. I, I, I really don't. Yeah, they don't have a third-round pick. They have a second in 2025, so maybe they can – maybe that, that'll suffice. But, yeah, they, they're, <laughs> they're pretty low on, on picks. But yeah, like you said, it's it, the market might not be quite as high, and I, I think there are other players out there. I think I'm going to have a similar piece running to that one, the Taves one about Sean Monahan, and and if that could potentially be a fit. Um, but it would be interesting having having Jonathan Taves in Colorado, and I, I well, the big question for me with that fit would be like, how much would his game elevate playing with? better players playing in a place where he has a chance to win. Like obviously Jonathan Tades isn't like he he's trying his best in Chicago. It's not an effort thing, but I think there is a subconscious, like if you're playing on a team that has a chance to do some damage in the playoffs, you're going to be a little more engaged. 
Yep, uh, that is true. Uh, he is the author of Force of Nature, an outstanding look at last year's Colorado Avalanche playoff run. Uh, he writes for The Athletic, covers the abs. He's a great Peter Baugh. Thank you, Peter, as always. And thanks for giving me some good news on Gabriel Landeskog. Much appreciated. <laughs> yeah, great to talk to you, Jeff. Have a good one. Be well, uh, Peter Ball. One, one thing on, on Taves, because I, I've, I've wondered about him in Colorado as well, and I don't know how much Chicago Blackhawks you've watched this season, folks. Um, my, my concern would be, like, listen, few teams, when they're healthy, play at a pace like the Avalanche do. Like, when this Avalanche team is healthy and they're getting there now, Valerian Nishushkin is back tonight, Bo Byron, this team plays at a pace that very few can compete with. We saw this all through the playoffs last season. I just don't know. And if you've watched hockey's games, you know what I'm talking about. That's high rent district. As far as pace goes, I don't know that the Hawks or Jonathan Taves are at that level. Peter Boff from The Athletic, thank you for stopping by the program. Lance Lasowski, thanks so much for stopping by to talk about the Dylan Cousins seven-year contract extension. Keith Kachuk, man, always good uh, talking to Big Walt. Random player of the day, Dusty Helgeson. Thanks so much for submitting. Dave Babich, love talking about that one. Luke Gazdick from the NHL on Sportsnet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Elliot Friedman, as always, kicked it off. Jen Rolnick makes it look good on TV. Langs Kennedy makes it sound sweet. And Matt Marchese does what Matt Marchese does. Namely, try to take my job. One day, Maddie, you will be successful. Merrick Show back tomorrow, noon Eastern, across the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360.